Our text tonight is verse 17 of Revelation 6. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I want you to ask a very straight question to you this evening. And that is this, where do you stand spiritually? Where are you really? Where is your heart? You know, when all is said and done and all the arguments have been made and maybe all of our self-justifications tried out, all those things, how do you stand in the sight of God? You know, it's not about what I think. It's not about what those around you think. But in the sight of God, the one who sees perfectly who knows your heart this night, how are you? Where do you stand? And really this text brings these things to a a clear focus and a challenge to us. And friends, you know, time is short and the days, they pass so very quickly, good or bad, we cannot prevent time sweeping on. You know, days and weeks and months, they seem to fly past. The hymn writer, he has it right when he says, Swift to its close, ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou changest not, abide with me. You know, we are blessed, those of us who are uh, living down here, to live in a very beautiful place. And uh, we are in this lovely town by the sea, and we, we cannot miss the sea's constant tides. You know, ebbing and flowing, in and out twice a day. And full tide is actually very brief. You know, it comes in and then soon it is ebbing away again. And that tide is forgotten and on to the next one. Always coming, always going. And, you know, I've been blessed to be here for some years now. And some of you have been here for many more years than even that. But the same sea, ebbing, flowing, crashing against the promenade and You know, that's the picture that the hymn writer has there in that quote I just mentioned. Swift to its close, ebbs out life's little day. And you know, people know it. They know it and, you know, they try to run from it, but they know it. You know, you think of those advanced in years, older. You know, they're doing their best to hang on. You know, forever hoping that their tide won't finally go out. Trying to preserve, you know, what is left and not wanting to face whatever is next as they see it. You know, those younger, you know, they often feel as though, well, you know, I've got lots of time ahead of me. But life is a very brief thing. Days are like the turning of pages. And before you know it, another chapter has gone. And there are not many of them. Life's little day ebbing out. And all our apparent achievements, all our glory, all our vanity. You know, what is our life? And then beyond that, you look at the world. This whole world is changing, it is decaying. You know, and even what we would see in, you know, very worldly terms and and natural terms as the most stable and solid is revealed actually to be anything but that. And again, the hymn writer that I quoted has it because in all of that, our little life ebbing away, the change and decay all around us, he directs us immediately to God. O thou who changest not, Abide with me. Oh God, I need you in the midst of all of this. And I need you for what is coming. And really that's the wonder of what we have before us this evening. This this great God who does not change. The one true and living God. 
the creator of all that ever can be, the one who upholds creation by the word of his power, it is he who will decide at some time in his divine economy to bring this part of creation to its end and all along the way, our times, my time, your time, is in his hands. You know, maybe we look at the world and we switch the news on and we we see the things that are happening and we can very easily become anxious. You know, we, we see the conspiracies and we see the realities and we see the conflicts and we see these men rising and these, you know, great dangers that seem to be there. The conflicts, the corruption in the corridors of power. We see the unrest. We see the violence. And we begin to get anxious and and overwhelmed because, you know, we can lose sight of the fact that for all the the posturing of people, they are not ultimately going to decide the outcome. But one thing is certain above all else, and you need to know it, a day is coming, the great day of God's wrath, and who shall be able to stand? That's the question. Where do you stand? Who will be able to stand? And so let's think for a moment on this awful day of wrath. It's with this day that we are concerned. And in this passage, with all of its rich symbolism and representation, John sees the entire godless world seized with a a sudden fear. He sees them struck with, with terror and running from something far more terrible than crumbling mountains and falling rocks. You know, and that sobering part of the passage that we read together, they even seek safety in death. You know, if only death could come to them, they think, and John hears the cries of agony uttered by a vast multitude of those from across society, the rich and the the great or the poor, the kings and the slaves, the, the princes and the servants, you know, whoever. Those things don't matter when we come to this passage and this reckoning. They're all caught in the the same self-inflicted agony of despair. And this awful cry is heard. Let the mountains and rocks fall upon us and hide us from the face of the one who is sitting on the throne. The great day of wrath has come and who is able to stand. The day of grace closed forever. And you know, these things have a bearing upon us now because we need to know where we stand spiritually. We need to know it this night. You know, how will you face a holy God? What is your hope on that great day? And so this text is dealing with the culmination of all things, the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all the events around that. And with that that final judgment, that final reckoning, God bringing all to a final conclusion. And in that day, you need to know that the only way of standing is to be safe in the Lord Jesus. You know, for each of us to have a real relationship with the Savior, a living experience in the depth of our hearts and souls, you know, beyond the boast of, you know, knowledge of the Bible or religious attendance or all apparent experiences, to know him, to know Jesus Christ, to believe and to know a genuine, living, saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the grace of God having laid hold of our hearts. Do you know, in our short little lives, we can spend so much time fretting and worrying about all manner of things and, you know, what will we do and and what will it be like? And, 
And we can sometimes spend so much time planning for this life and absorbed in this life. We worry over what troubles will come and all the possible dangers. And yet we neglect what is most serious and most important to be ready for this day, this day to come. That's what we should be so concerned about. And so some things that we need to consider. And the first is this, the fear of God. The fear of God. Now, that's not a popular concept. You know, it's not very much accepted anymore, but it's vital. And, you know, the more I go on in the things of grace and of God, the more I am aware of the majesty of God and the holiness of God and this whole matter of the fear of God. And I ask you, have you ever considered it? You know, we, we live in a time when so many have such trivial thoughts of God, if any. You know, we live in a day where we want instant blessing and instant happiness and an instant credit and instant everything. And that's crept into the thinking of the church. It's permeated every aspect until we have forgotten this God whom we worship is the thrice holy God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, majestic splendor, glorious unity, perfect in holiness, none like him. And this is our great God, and, and we are dust. And yet we can be so foolish at times to, to think of ourselves so much and think of him so little. But you know, wonderfully, this great God is able to reach men and women like ourselves and to raise us from the dust and to cause us to be children of God and, and heirs of grace. And you know, when we really consider that, you know, our hearts should be overwhelmed and we should be moved to praise how, how wonderful he is in all of his abilities, perfect in all of his attributes, glorious in all of his works, great in his mercy, great in his love, great in his concern for a fallen world like this. And this God needs to be considered seriously. Oh, so many verses of hymns that could draw this out. My God, how wonderful thou art. Thy majesty, how bright. How beautiful thy mercy seat in depths of burning light. How dread are thine eternal years, O everlasting Lord. Thy prostrate spirits day and night, incessantly adored. You know, do you know anything of this God? You know, what is your attitude when you pray? Yes, we come to him boldly in Christ. Yes, there is friendship with God, you know, by his grace. Yes, he is our father if we have been adopted into his family, but never forget that he is still God Almighty, dwelling in burning light, incessantly adored. And when we, specks of dust as we are, raise our little hearts in adoration and praise and petition, how can we ever come without coming in the merit of the only one who makes it possible, the Lord Jesus. You know, we're in such a, a careless age. You know, many claiming this of God and, and that of God. We've forgotten who he is. And we wonder, you know, why things are at such a low ebb, why we're not blessed. We wonder why there is so little godliness and reverence in our attitude to the things of God and commitment to him. And for so many, their view of God is not shaped by his word. You know, it's not shaped as, as God has revealed himself. They've got a God of their own making, a God that fits with what they want. Whereas this God in this vision of John that we see here, Revelation 6, you know, this picture of stars falling, 
the sky rolling up as a scroll, the land masses moving. You know, can you imagine anything so terrifying? If we were to, to walk out of here this night and suddenly we began to see the great stars falling out of place, you know, all that it would mean in the galaxy and the universe, our own sky rolling up like a scroll. Now, who can fathom it? We've seen it dark, we've seen it bright, we've seen it different colors. We've never seen that. The whole landmass of the earth beginning to move, more than just an earthquake, more than anything ever recorded. The whole earth moving. What would we think of that? You know, imagine the panic. Everything that people had trusted, you know, that had looked to in, is useless in that situation. You know, all the money in the world, all the material goods in the world, whatever, nothing like that can give security in this day. Imagine, dear friends, no stability in any material thing or influence. People everywhere desperately trying to cling to something, but there's no hiding place. Look at verses 15 to 16. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us. They cry out to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us. But what do they want to be hidden from? Is it just the, the terrible events themselves? Oh no. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You see, they're unprepared for this day. And they are then brought to realize what it is, you know. And they think it is better to be crushed by the mountains rather than face him that in this life they rejected than face the only begotten Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But can they hide? Hebrews 4, there is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And in that great day, all will be called to account to stand before a holy God, immortal souls they bear, and who is able to stand? I wonder if this night, you see the urgency of your situation. You need to think on this, my dear friend. You know, when these things are impressed upon us and the destiny of our immortal souls becomes the, the most important thing that can ever be, will it be eternal damnation? Will there only be condemnation and devastation? Or will it be eternal glory? Will we be able to stand? You know, and above all the things that, that people get so caught up in, the multitude of voices from within and without, here is the question. Will I stand in the sight of God? This holy, awesome God. The fear of God. And then I want you to see the face of God. Who shall stand and live before the face of God? And you say, well, why is this issue so serious? Why is it so terrible? Well, let me give you some reasons. You see, to face God, to come to God in, in this situation here, we have to face his character. And again, I, I don't mean the God who many have created for themselves of their own convenience and fashioning. I'm talking about the God of the Bible, the true God and how he has revealed himself in his word. You know, think of Isaiah 6. Isaiah, you know, this, this prophet, this godly spiritual man, he goes into the temple and yet he feels terrible. Why? The presence of the thrice holy God and such was the, the degree of that presence 
that he almost felt that he could not bear it. And such was the, the brilliant holiness which confronted him. He cried out, desiring mercy, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips from a, amongst a people of unclean lips. And, and conviction swept over him. Why? You know, only the edges of the, the garments of God, as it were, swept into that place. And yet the beauty of the holiness was a frightening thing and a, a humbling thing. And the holiness of God, we, we can't escape it. Yes, God is love and it is wonderful. Yes, God is gracious and he's merciful. All those wonderful things. He is perfect in the attributes that he can communicate. Perfect in his attributes which are incommunicable. Glorious in all those things. But he is holy. And the Bible says that without holiness, we will not see the Lord. Habakkuk 1.13 you know, mark this verse if you don't know it already. It says of God, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. You know, those, those wonderful, piercing, terrible, fearful eyes that search the soul and expose the mind. And God sees us. He sees us as we really are. You know, when a person is being brought to faith in the Lord Jesus, when the Holy Spirit is at work to give life, to awaken and convict and to mediate Christ, to take away the veil of unbelief, they feel that exposure. You know, maybe there are those here tonight who know it as I'm speaking. You, you feel that conviction. You know that you're a sinner. You know that you're, you're laid before God in your heart and it's real. You know, it's nothing to do with me in that sense, the Holy Spirit. And you will know your sin as you're brought to consider the pure eyes of God. That he sees you. And how will you stand in that day? You know, and let us get it right. Sin is not just a little mistake, as some say, a, a bump in the road, an unfortunate mess, you know, just needs to be swept away. Oh, no, it is an offense. Rebellion. The Bible says that we are dirty in the presence of holiness. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, and we know it. The mind and heart of a person without Christ is so broken and dark, and our, our thoughts, our passions, the things that we entertain, we would be ashamed of if anybody else knew. Our fallen self wants those things that we know to be wrong in the sight of God, our will in bondage to sin, working with our, our fallen minds and corrupted hearts and always pushing us after those things of this world. And, you know, it's only a short life, so why don't we do what we want? You know, even those of us who know the grace of God and know the Lord, who have some desire for the things of God, we still have to, to battle those things. You know, we can even be here on occasion like this, and all of a sudden we're entertaining some fantasy of sin in our minds. How can I ever face God and live? How can we ever hope to be accepted in the sight of God and enjoy his glory forever? You know, in myself, I've got no hope. Even if I try my best and, and try to be religious, even still the burning purity and holiness of God sees the true state of my heart. You see, to face God, I have to face his character. And to face God, I have to consider his law. I'm confronted by the law of God, the, the reflection of his character. And what is this law? Well, the Lord Jesus so wonderfully summarized it. It is my attitude to God and my attitude to others. 
the Lord of love, the synopsis, the Savior, gave of the Declar. What did he say? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And my friends, this is what the Lord requires. This is his standard. Above all else, to love him perfectly. And we know we cannot do it. We know that we have all sinned. We know that we have all fallen short. So the question remains, how will we stand? You know, what is, what is the hope in all of this? Where do we look? Well, thank God the answer is found in his word. And in this remarkable vision, John meets people who are already in glory. Those who have been able to stand. More than that, those who have been embraced and welcomed. Look, if you will, at verses 13 and 14 of Revelation 7. Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? These are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's who they are. We spoke of this this morning. They were once on earth, weary, worn sinners, but something incredible happened in their lives. And during their lives, they were brought into a place of grace and God worked in them in a way that brought them to pay attention to the things of God and to consider the destiny of their immortal soul. And the Holy Spirit granted them to stop listening to all the, the thousands of silly voices that shouted for their attention and told them all sorts of lies and things that would ruin them. And they began to stop and think, if I died today, where would I stand? Where would I be? And they began to see, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, what does God require of a sinner? Righteousness. And there are still some who think that they can earn that. You know, maybe you're here tonight and you think, well, I'll do my best and God can accept that and I'm good enough and I, I do these things and God must accept me. That's a nonsense. That's not the gospel. You know, there's some who think, well, if I, if I do my best good deeds and religious acts and my exuberant worship, and what does he say? Filthy rags. Someone comes along and says, well, but I'm very religious and, you know, I'm very earnest in what I do. Filthy rags. These things cannot make you right with him. You see, God is looking for something in the depth of your heart and soul with a righteousness that matches his own perfect righteousness. And nothing that we can do will ever do that. No self-activity, not all our energies. God is looking for a righteousness that matches the righteousness of God. Well, how do we have that? How can we stand in the sight of God? Well, God, perfect in all of his attributes, crowned with holiness and righteousness, has himself provided the way. And he sent his own son. His own son who knew no sin. And this precious Son of God came and took to himself human flesh and lived a perfect life. He fulfilled all of the law, not for himself, but for his people. Stunning condescension and grace. And the Father declared that he was pleased, so pleased with his Son. This is my beloved Son. Here he is. 
And this precious one not only lived that perfect life, but also came to deal with our sin, to pay the price to redeem his people from sin and the grip of the enemy, and he went to the cross. And when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to bring us to saving faith, there is a special time when we, for ourselves, are brought to survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And we're brought to see him. And we're brought to see that this is no ordinary crucifixion. Here is one truly innocent, never a sinner by nature or deed, and yet he became sin, and the sin of his people was imputed to him, given over to him. He bore our sin in his own body on the tree, and he lays down his life, the death of the cross, to bring sinners like us to God, and grace brings us to see it, and brings us to believe it. And we see the depth of his suffering, the intensity of his suffering. We see him bearing away our sin, our substitute, the only one who can do it. And we know that he loved me, gave himself for me. He saved me. Blessed be his name. And the Lord Jesus does the work. It is finished. The resurrection shows the, the triumph and acceptance. And the Holy Spirit shows me my unrighteousness, shows me my sin, but then tells me, he will take it all. He will deal with it all. He has atoned for it all. My sin or the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. But you say, well, but I have no righteousness. Well, even that he gives. His perfect life has wrought a, a robe of righteousness and just as all your filthy rags have been taken away, you are given his own righteousness as your eternal dress. There is this wondrous exchange. Jesus takes all our sin and gives us his righteousness, a righteousness that matches the righteousness of God and a gift of sovereign grace. And, you know, even the ability to repent and believe is given the, the grace of repentance and faith. The Holy Spirit brings these things. You say, well, what is it? What is it to repent? Well, it's more than just shame and remorse. You know, there is sorrow that leads to death. True repentance is more. The Holy Spirit shows me my sin, and I see its appalling reality. I look at my life and the way of sin that I once desired and thought was sweet and thought was right. I turn away from that, and I turn towards God and holiness and righteousness, and a deep work is done within me. And conversion shows itself in, in transformation and new desires and a, a changed life. And you want to go on the narrow way. And it's all of his grace. And you, you turn to it by grace. And so we repent of our sin. And then the grace of faith to believe. To believe with all of my being that Jesus Christ is my only hope in life and death. That his death on the cross has saved me. And the righteousness he gives me is the only way in which I can stand before God. And we believe it and we trust it. On Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And that righteousness must be mine if I am to face God and live. My faith must be there in Him and nowhere else. The righteousness of Christ 
now is appropriated by faith to the sinner and he is justified in the sight of God, glorious, and it always remains. And when God does that work, when he saves a sinner, when he breaks into their life, it is an eternal work begun by God and it will be completed by him. And you know, Satan will come and he will tempt us to despair, but who do we look to? Well, we look up to see our Savior who has made an end of all our sin and we know that we are safe forever in him. You know, if you know nothing of these things, how will you stand in that great day? How will you face the holy God? You know, if you're playing on the periphery or even, you know, if you sat there and you're against these things, you face a terrible eternity. And when the finality of the judgment is made, it doesn't matter how important you think you are, how important you may have been in this world, how religious you may have been, how often you are even around true believers. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ for yourself, you are lost and will be lost forever. But that is the wonder of what we are about tonight. It is still the day of grace. And God has granted this further opportunity for us to consider these things, a day of grace where we may hear that precious voice of Jesus saying, come to me, come to me, sinner. Come away from all of those things that will lead to destruction. Come to me. And in that it is the work of the Holy Spirit enlightening and helping and guiding and quickening, making you aware of the holiness of God, the reality of your sin, but bringing you to cry out from the depths of your being, oh God, have mercy upon me. Something happening within, and you know, you may not understand it all, but you know something wonderful is happening, and you're being drawn to the Lord Jesus and to believe in him, and to know that you're a sinner who has been forgiven and accepted with God in the righteousness of the Savior. To know where you stand, you are in Christ, and if you're in Christ, no condemnation. Now you dread. Jesus and all in him is yours. What a wonderful testimony to be able to have. That in Christ there is no condemnation. Or you think of this, one of my favorite hymns, the, the terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. And why is that? My Savior's obedience and blood. Hide all my transgression from view. My name from the palms of his hands. Eternity will not erase. You know, as we go on with the Lord, you know, maybe we struggle at times and we stumble and we think, well, you know, what if he forgets us? You know, what, if, what if things change? Never. Eternity will not erase. Your name is impressed in his heart. It remains in marks of indelible grace. What a position to be in. The only place to be able to stand with a certain hope of a glorious future. To be his people. And to know that wonderful reality that God himself will be with them. And be their God. And as we mentioned this morning. To have that wonderful hope of that time when God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. And there'll be no more death and no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. The former things passed away. And we know that we will stand and we will be embraced because of Christ. And when death comes in this life, we breathe our last here 
only to arrive in glory to be with him. And one day we will have our resurrection bodies and all the glory of the new heavens and new earth and we shall be forever amazed and astounded and in wonder at it all, forever with the Lord. Who can stand in that day of wrath? Very simple, you know. It's only those who are in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you that question again. Where do you stand spiritually tonight? How will you stand in that day? Only those in Christ are able to say, I am safe forever. My hope is secure. And not because of anything I have done, but all because of what he has done. Safe in Christ, both now and forever. Where do you stand? You know, it is my heart for you that you would not leave this place without knowing that you are right with God through Jesus Christ. And may God have mercy upon your soul and may you turn and be saved. This day is coming. May it be that by his grace we are ready for it and looking forward to seeing our Saviour coming in all of his glory and splendour and majesty. What a day it will be. May we be ready. Amen.